Between March and October 2020, the number of adults with characteristics of vulnerability increased by 3.7 million, bringing that total up to 27.7 million, meaning more than half of the UK adult population, 53% to be exact, are at greater risk of harm. These are all the, the senses, touch, see, hear and speak. But let's focus on touch. You can see three columns, permanent, temporary and situational. And this is how disability affects us all. So under permanent, you've got someone who's got one arm. So they've got upper limb loss. So they permanently only have the use of their other arm. Under temporary, you can see that somebody's got an arm injury. So let's say for six weeks, they've also only got the use of one arm. And under situational, you can see there's a new parent and they're holding a baby. So let's say, okay, I struggle with opening doors. I need, two, I need two arms to open doors because doors are pretty heavy for me. One to pull the handle and one to push the door. So let's say all of these three people needed to do the same thing. In that moment, they would all be experiencing the same disability because it's not our conditions and impairments that disable us. It's inaccessible design and it's the bias that people have. BSI presents The Standard Show, the podcast that brings you the stories behind the standards with Matthew Childs and Cindy Paragill. In today's episode, we are at the launch of ISO 22458, the international standard for consumer vulnerability. Well, one thing that we really wanted to change and to strengthen and update when we converted to an international standard was to give more um, information and guidance about inclusive design because what we've heard today at the conference is how absolutely integral that is. We've heard about how 53% of adults have characteristics of vulnerability. We've heard that vulnerability can be you know, everywhere, it can affect anybody at any time and so you can't always rely on just spotting somebody who's vulnerable and then providing them with relevant support. It's really, really important that you plan ahead for vulnerability, that you are proactive. So the section in the standard on inclusive design is really about making sure that inclusive service is absolutely embedded in your organisation all the way through the consumer journey, that you think about it when you're designing your services, that you think about it in the delivery of your services, because if you don't know who your vulnerable consumers are, your vulnerable customers are, you have to just kind of make sure that you're making your services more accessible and then fairer for everybody. That's the way that you're going to have a positive impact and that's the way that you're going to make a difference and the way that you're going to minimise the risk of harm. We started this episode with Shani Danda, an award-winning disability specialist and one of the UK's most influential disabled people, talking in a keynote address about the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic in the UK, producing not only more negative life events, but increasing both their incidence and complexity, and also reversing a generally positive trend over the past decade or so in terms of vulnerability. She also described quite elegantly how consumer vulnerability can be permanent, temporary or situational. And Shani was followed by Julie Hunter, chair of CPIN and the project lead for ISO 22458, talking about the central role of inclusive design in the standard. Hello and welcome to The Standard Show. My name is Matthew Childs and the aim of this podcast is to bring you the stories behind the standards. 
And in this episode, we are at the launch of ISO 22458, the international standard for consumer vulnerability. All consumers are different, with a wide range of needs, personal characteristics, health, abilities and skills. These factors, plus the impact of life events and external conditions, can place consumers in a vulnerable situation when dealing with organizations. They can find it difficult to obtain or retain information, access or choose suitable services, switch providers or tariffs, make decisions in their best interests, understand their rights, or pay for services. Based on the previous and pioneering standard BS 18477, ISO 22458 specifies requirements and gives guidance to all organizations on how to provide an inclusive service at all stages of service delivery. The, the basis is that when you have a really good national standard and you see the benefits of that being international and obviously with cross-border trade, the emergence of e-commerce, people, consumers in the UK are, are not, you know, they are living in Ireland, but, but we're not with, with the internet because obviously we can buy um, our services from cross-border um, and therefore there was an understanding that the consumer vulnerability it's not just a societal issue it's a business issue and we could see that the inclusive service standard in the UK was working really well it's been picked up by business by consumer organizations by regulators and from a consumer protection perspective it meant that the consumer public interest network working with BSI were able to put it up for a new international standard through ISO Capulco. Um, so ISO Capulco is able to advise ISO where there's gaps in international standards that can benefit society, can be benefit citizens. So we did this from a UK perspective. We had the support of all 110 national standards bodies from around the world um, to, to support this. Um, it was voted on by all the ISO members and it was approved. What we really strive for in, in BSI is how can you bring value to the world through standards. And this standards benefits so many, well, all the stakeholders throughout the system. And now it doesn't only benefit UK citizens, it benefits consumers around the world. Sadie Dainton there, Consumer Policy Lead at BSI and Chair of ISO Capulco, talking about some of the standards development process of how BS 18477 became ISO 22458. Capulco is the ISO Committee on Consumer Policy. Now, in this episode, we'll hear more from some of the people involved in the development of ISO 22458 and why it matters. And we'll also hear from some of the organisations planning to use the new standard and the differences they believe it will make to addressing this issue of consumer vulnerability. Consumer vulnerability is defined as a state in which an individual can be placed at risk of harm during their interaction with a service provider due to the presence of personal, situational and market environment factors. Any one of us could become vulnerable due to a change in our personal circumstances. Losing a job, bereavement, developing a medical condition like cancer, 
dealing with addiction or struggling with literacy and numeracy. There are many, many reasons why someone might become temporarily or permanently vulnerable and susceptible to harm. External factors such as natural disasters and economic conditions can also increase vulnerability. As we heard from Sharni earlier, COVID-19 had a negative impact on consumers' physical and mental health, and also on their household finances too. In October 2020, the Financial Conduct Authority in the UK estimated that 27.7 million adults, or 53%, were living with one or more characteristics of vulnerability, an increase of 3.7 million since the beginning of the pandemic. But it's not all about COVID. Around 25% of the population in England experience a mental health problem each year, and one in six report experiencing a common mental health problem, such as anxiety or depression, in any given week. Now, of course, there are some consumers who are generally more likely to be at risk of harm, such as people with chronic illnesses, cognitive impairments, learning difficulties, and of course, those with pre-existing physical disabilities either from birth or acquired during their lives. Now, this means not only moral responsibilities for organisations and businesses, but looking at this issue another way, there are some commercial opportunities too. And now my work has led me to advocate for disabled people, but also the, the extra costs that we face. Because I don't think it's fair that disabled people have to pay more to live the same lives as others, but have less or no choice. On average, disabled people face unavoidable extra costs of £583 a month more. So you know we've got all this new narrative about the cost of living crisis. Well, nobody cared about disabled people's cost of living crisis for all these years. So it's like a bit of a double whammy for us. £583 is a lot of money for a lot of people, especially when disabled people are twice as likely to be unemployed, have to apply for 60% more jobs and nearly half of everyone in poverty in this country is disabled and welfare doesn't touch the sides of the support that you need. And this group of disabled people is estimated to be rising 14% per year because 80% of disabled people were not born with a condition or an impairment. I'm one of the 20% that was. So what that's telling you is your non-disabled employees and your non-disabled customers could very well go on to experience disability or have a family member that does. And the, the problem that businesses have is that they just don't have enough data to understand disabled consumers. And less than 10% of organisations even have a targeted plan on how to access the Purple Pound. But for me, the fact that businesses are overlooking this purely from a commercial perspective, let alone moral perspective, I think it just goes to show how overlooked disabled and vulnerable consumers are. Despite service providers, uh, businesses and retailers being largely inaccessible for me, I'm not stood in front of you today naked, even though I can't go into a shop and buy and wear clothes off a rail. I still find a way to spend that money somewhere. I've still got food at home in my cupboards. But retailers and businesses and service providers can be really hard to access for some people. But just think about how much 
time and effort is spent on that for me and other consumers, not only in a monetary sense, but also my time. And time's the most valuable thing that we all have. I don't want to keep spending it on buying clothes and tailoring it or having to ask for adaptions everywhere I need to go. At the launch of ISO 22458, I spoke to some of those involved in developing and championing the standard. Leo Miles from Macmillan Cancer Trust, Nikki Stopford from the BSI Consumer Forum, and Julie Hunter from CPIN. But I started with Michael Hill, complaint management expert and chair of the BSI Standards Committee for Customer Service Standards, and also the UK representative on the ISO committee developing ISO 22458. I started by asking him, what's the main difference between ISO 22458 and BS 18477, the standard it supersedes? The initial standard was drafted at really at a sort of time where um, our kind of understanding of consumer vulnerability and inclusive service design was um, uh, probably at the kind of start of the evolutionary cycle. And I think now things have sort of moved on that this standard far better addresses things like situational vulnerability. So, you know, of course, that's where we may, any one of us really, may have, of course, experience things like a, a relationship breakdown, income shock. Of course, the pandemic has had a, its own as impact. So it was that, but also um, this was an opportunity to really collaborate with business. So the initial standard, really driven by consumer bodies and government, this one actually has a lot more input in terms of businesses who have also, of course, got experience of using, for example, 18477. So it's got a lot more kind of practical guidance for organisations, uh, probably a lot more around uh, the culture and top-down commitment um, that's required. Uh, but also, of course, picking up upon things like because the way we interact with businesses these days, uh, the more of a you know, digital needs, um, but then also things like data uh, as well and uh, data sharing. I mean, who who have been involved? Who, who else was sort of sitting around the table to ensure that we had a sort of developed a consensus for this standard? What sort of organisations were involved? Well, we had representatives uh, from a UK perspective, from uh, the energy sector, from uh, regulators. Uh, but then also, of course, that global perspective. Uh, so um, we had Australian counterparts who uh, sort of brought some of their own kind of, sort of stories um, into sort of drafting for, of course, in Australia, things like climate change and bushfires and the impact that those uh, sort of have. Uh, sort of J Japan, um, I know they brought some very good sort of practical examples in terms of some of the work they've done in um, with a, a quite an aging sort of population and some of the challenges sort of there but also in a very good representation I know we had from Canada, Malaysia, um, some of the Scandinavian countries in, in Europe as well so um, yeah I know a, a, a very diverse uh, sort of committee. I suppose the other question I ask you is, is why now? Why develop this international standard now? Well, it's been, it, I mean, it's been, of course, a number of years in the making. Um, uh, I, you know, it felt it was very much a time where, just from a UK perspective, we were considering anyway, I think, reviewing and updating um, the previous sort of standards. So 
I think there was a feeling globally and from ISO that um, actually there is a need for this standard and that the uh, existing British standard was a good starting point. So I think you know, various things you know, has ever sort of come together to you know, make it feel like it's the right time. And I have to say, when you have something like a, you know, the pandemic and then cost of living crisis, of course, starting to happen, um, as you sort of reach the conclusion, of course, it felt even more timely. Who's the standard actually for? Uh, the standards really for um, in any uh, sort of size of um, organisation. Uh, also, I have to say whether on, they're a commercial body or a public sector organisation, I think would benefit. Um, it has been written in a way that um, we feel does have flexibility to apply to any size of organisation. Um, but of course, and it, the focus will always be upon uh, those companies that are made or organisations that are providing essential services. So that was very much at the forefront of our minds. But um, uh, you know, ultimately, I think any any type of organisation will, will benefit because what's set out in the standard is really ultimately about how organisations can uh, personalise uh, their services, and, um, and that will provide an even and those sort of the smaller sort of business with a competitive edge. Now, obviously, you've been involved in, in the design and development of this, this, this new standard, and there's obviously a lot of hard work's got into that. I just wonder if we were having this conversation in five years' time, what do you hope to have changed as a result of organisations using this standard? I, I think I would like to see that um, uh, inclusive service design is a given in, in the way we, in future, um, shape our products and services um, that we have a, a better understanding of um, the customers that our organizations are serving and and the fact that each customer is different and and has a range of needs and there will be sort of characteristics that we again yeah need to sort of better understand so that yeah as organizations we we provide appropriate um, products and services to them. I'm Julie Hunter and I'm Chair of the Consumer and Public Interest Network at BSI. Um, we represent consumers in the development of British standards and I was also project lead and UK consumer representative on the new standard for consumer vulnerability. Well, one thing that we really wanted to change and to strengthen and update when we converted to an international standard was to give more um, information and guidance about inclusive design because what we've heard today at the conference is how absolutely integral that is. We've heard about how 53% of adults have characteristics of vulnerability. We've heard that vulnerability can be you know, everywhere. It can affect anybody at any time. And so you can't always rely on just spotting somebody who's vulnerable and then providing them with relevant support. It's really, really important that you plan ahead for vulnerability, that you are proactive. So the section in the standard on inclusive design is really about making sure that inclusive service is absolutely embedded in your organisation, all the way through the consumer journey, that you think about it when you're designing your services, that you think about it in the delivery of your services, because if you don't know who your vulnerable consumers are, your vulnerable customers are, you have to just kind of make sure that you're making your services more accessible and then fairer for everybody. That's the way that you're going to have a positive impact and that's the way that you're going to make a difference and the way that you're going to minimise the risk of harm. I would love to see greater take-up of this standard by regulators, um, by particularly by firms in the essential services sector where we know that the risk of harm 
can be so much greater if you're vulnerable. So the impact of the harm is, you know, if it's something that you use in your everyday life, it's your energy, it's your water, if things go wrong, you know, that's really, really serious if you're in a vulnerable situation. So I would love to see greater take up of this and understanding of what vulnerability is. You know, it's not just one thing, oh, this person is a wheelchair user, therefore they're vulnerable. We've talked today a lot about the overlapping characteristics of vulnerability and the very complex nature of vulnerability. So I would like to see, as a result of this standard, businesses really understanding that complex nature of vulnerability and looking at a person as a whole. You know, what are the difficulties that person's facing and how can we actually help them and support them to make a you know, positive difference to their lives. Because we're now looking at a very broad range of characteristics of vulnerability, so understanding that anyone can be vulnerable at any time is also understanding about this very, very broad range of risk factors for vulnerability. It can be mental health, it can be physical health, it could be your financial resilience, it could be that you've lost your job, you've got caring responsibilities, you've suffered a bereavement. Um, and you know, even you can be vulnerable for a day when you know something something bad happened to you for the day. So you know that can impact. It's about the impact on the consumer in terms of if they're finding it difficult to understand information, if they're finding it difficult to make decisions in their best interest. So you know, it can really be something that's very temporary. It can be something for some people that's permanent, or it can be something that comes and goes that's sporadic as well. So it's really important, as I said, that we plan ahead, that businesses plan ahead for vulnerability. This is why inclusive design is so important because it's not just about helping those people who you've, you've identified as vulnerable it's actually helping everybody so another example is for example on buses when you get the spoken instructions about which stop is coming up next okay so that was originally um, developed maybe people who had a visual impairment um, to help them but actually also if you're um, someone on a bus with a young child and you're preoccupied and you, you miss your you're going to miss your stop if it's not you know read out to you or someone you know a lone female on a bus late at night and they miss their stop and they end up somewhere where they shouldn't be you're actually helping everybody by designing services to be more inclusive more accessible fairer for everybody I'm Nikki Stopford, I'm the chair of BSI's Consumer Forum. The forum really acts to um, to really strengthen the voice of, con of consumers in standards making. So it brings together all the big organisations that are at the forefront of empowering consumers in one way or another. And that is relevant um, to many organisations across the consumer landscape. So we've got government departments in there, we've got, um, we've got enforcement agencies and we've got consumer advocates, of course. So we've seen today that ensuring that businesses and organisations have the right tools in place to both understand and support people who are in vulnerable situations is really important. It's always been important, of course it has, but what we've seen today is the scope of, um, of consumer in, in vulnerability is just scaling at an unprecedented speed. You know, we've, we've straight off the back of COVID, we've been hit by the cost of living crisis. It's deepening and strengthening and we're seeing more and more people getting into financial vulnerability um, than ever before and of course those people that were already in vulnerable situations are probably the hardest hit so really 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 important to be tackling this right now really timely to have a new ISO standard addressing consumer vulnerability it provides excellent tools that can support organizations to to deal with and support vulnerable consumers so it gives the standard gives um, organizations a framework to operate within it gives them the the, the things that they can do to make a real difference, right from how you embed um, consumer vulnerability and the importance of consumer vulnerability at a cultural level, right to 
the on the ground practical actions that can be taken to to both identify but also to support people in vulnerable situations and it involves lots of examples right from you know the, the importance of using data to understand more about um, customers and consumers in terms of how they're behaving thinking feeling um, right through to you know the types of resources that you can draw on to um, refer people on to to schemes where they can get better support I, I think the important thing with this standard is that more businesses engage with it and adopt it and 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 in adopting it there's enough there's enough in the standard to give people the tools on the what they need to do um, to be better to build their capabilities in tackling and dealing with consumer vulnerability but there's also plenty within the standard that enable and it gives them a framework and the broad principles for acting so as well as adopting the standard I think there's, there has to be a playback and a feedback on and how people are learning and iterating and innovating within the standard as well and, and you know having that sort of shared learning experience cross sector and um, cross industry is really really important. I'm Leo Miles and I am the Financial Services Policy Manager at Macmillan Cancer Support. Vulnerability for us at Macmillan is, is as, as you might imagine, quite a complex thing. So I think a lot of people living with cancer wouldn't either perceive themselves as being vulnerable or want to be um, classed as vulnerable. And in the arena that I work in, particularly in financial services, I think consumer vulnerability is a description we started to use of people to sort of almost identify the problem so that we can start finding the solutions. But in terms of why we're involved in consumer vulnerability, so people living with cancer obviously are severely impacted by their diagnosis from um, a physical and emotional perspective, and that's very, very well known. What is less known is how severe the financial impact of cancer is. So that's as much as £891 a calendar month on average, and that's affecting four and five people. So it's really, really significant. And what that does is puts people squarely in the consumer vulnerability space, because when they're interacting acting with providers, with financial services providers, with anything to do with money, and they're at risk of experiencing harm because there's so many things about cancer that can make it harder to transact. Um, and if providers get it wrong, if they don't respond appropriately, um, then that will make things worse for people. So they are at risk of long-term financial harm. So what could be a period of short-term financial difficulty, maybe when they're not working because they're having treatment, if the provider gets it wrong, it might damage their credit records for many, many years and makes the process of recovering both um, physically and financially really difficult. So I think that's probably why consumer vulnerability is is, a, is an accurate and appropriate term for people living with cancer, but it's probably not a label they'd give themselves. A quick reminder that here on The Standard Show, we really welcome your feedback. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, especially if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Find and follow us on Twitter at Standard Show and on Instagram at The Standard Show. And check out the show notes for all of the ways to get in touch. We heard earlier from some of those involved in the development of the standard, including from Michael Hill and Julie Hunter, about this concept of inclusive design. Though this is at the heart of the standard, the concept is not new. Now, a good example of this is the QWERTY keyboard I used to type words and ideas for this episode. And in fact, it was mentioned by Shani in her keynote speech at the standards launch. Modern keyboards are based on the original QWERTY typewriter. Versions of those machines, like the Hammond typewriter, 
developed way back in 1895, came with braille markings on the keys. And this allowed those who were visually impaired or blind to be able to write letters like everyone else. Now, at the launch, I also spoke to some organisations who are planning to use the new standard. We'll hear from United Utilities, Scottish and Southern Electricity Networks, and Southeast Water. But we start with Peter McClanagan from the Consumer Council for Northern Ireland, an organisation that not only promoted the use of BS 18477 to organisations in Northern Ireland, but used the standard itself too. Something we'll also be doing with ISO 22458. Peter McLenahan, I'm Director of Infrastructure and Sustainability with the Consumer Council for Northern Ireland. So when we adopted the, origin, the, the, the current standard, uh, we had to undertake quite a lot of soul-searching almost, you would say, within the organisation. Um, because in reality, at times, um, we were providing a really good service to consumers but perhaps at times our processes and systems behind the scenes that underpinned what we were doing, underpinned our staff training, for example, weren't quite as, uh, as up to scratch as they could have been. So that's actually was our big learning in regard to um, the current standard. Looking to the future uh, in the knowledge that the, the, the ISO has a more um, digital focus and focus in relation to data and digitalization. I think that's going to be um, a little bit of a challenge for us. We're currently putting in a new um, website, a new um, uh, updating our standards on our service in relation to our website for consumers. Um, and that will hopefully help us to make sure that we're going to be in a good place to achieve the, the updated standard. Um, so yeah, we as a consumer organisation, we like to think that we, we really understand consumers, understand consumers' needs, um, provide well for them. But uh, at times, it's, it's that, that challenge to us from the standard of making sure that our performance and our processes are strong and robust is somewhere where we really value, frankly, and then something that we can stand up and say, yes, we've achieved this. And when we're talking to companies, then we can say, look, we are serving best practice in this area. We're continually improving. Over to you guys, what can you do? So I'm Andy Klaus. I head up customer experience and strategy at Southeast Water. Um, that covers quite a wide area, so I'll look after uh, our vulnerability strategy, uh, working with our customers on water efficiency, um, and also our research and insight program, um, as well as a few other things. Yeah, so the new standard we hope is going to bring for us um, an improvement in performance, an improvement in efficiency, um, and, and give us a more uh, a sort of a more bespoke because this standard particularly is, is more refined towards as a sector as well. Um, you know, there were areas in the old standard where it wasn't really applicable, like sales, for example. You know, we're not going to have that sort of thing in the... So it's allowing us to focus on all the really important things. Uh, and that's going to be key for us to go, if we want to really step change and improvement, then that's where we're going to get it, by just making sure we're, we've adapted and evolved to that standard. I think the benefits that it's going to bring for customers are predominantly about the improvements in process that we will undoubtedly um, find and, and implement as a result of that new standard. Um, we do a lot of work already with customers to try and understand how our services are impacting on them. Uh, and, and really whether we're meeting the needs of those customers. So, so actually what I'm, you know, we've got some real tangible measures 
that really show us, you know, how we're doing. I'm always really proud every year that we overachieve on some of those targets. And I want to overachieve even more. Historically, as a water company, you know, there's, there's always been a big push on standards because it's really good in a sales environment, being able to use it to show quality. Um, we, we, we actually do have another part of the business. So we have a, a, a laboratory business that we um, sell commercial services for, um, you know, and they do obviously use the standards, um, but they're, because there's that commercial opportunity. I think moving forward, we will see as companies opportunities to really use those standards uh, in a way to improve our credibility, not necessarily commercially, but with regulator, etc. Again, having the framework of the standard changes the man management view. Uh, I think that's the big difference. It's not just looking about numbers. And, and actually what it does is it, it gets to that more softer part of the, the things that aren't just easily measurable. It's about your processes, efficiency, all of those things that the standard helps us to achieve, which just looking at some of those KPIs and metrics, you'd never really get under the skin of, of uh, making those improvements. The great thing about our organisation is our CEO, our exec, the senior management team are all bought in to understanding the services that we need to deliver to our vulnerable customers. My name is Julie Walker. I work for Scottish and Southern Electricity Networks and my for the last several years my focus has been on um, the services we provide our customers in vulnerable situations and in the last year or two it's now looking at our strategy and our plans for the next price control period for vulnerable consumers. So for us, um, BS18477 was a real step change for our business. Um, at the time we took it up, consumer focus was a real focus then and we wanted to really um, change our business and that changed our culture, our behaviours and has, has led us into the next, you know, last few years in improving our services um, for customers in vulnerable situations. So in order to, in adopting the new one, the ISO 22458, um, we've got a lot of plans for the future um, to do many things in contributing to fuel poverty, improving our customer channels, omni-channels, introducing new channels for up-and-coming vulnerabilities and I think most importantly is doing a lot more research and talking to a lot more people in our communities to understand how the, the, the things like the price crisis affect them and what we can do to make those um, adapt our services for them. I think the single biggest difference for me between the old standard and the new standard is the fact that it's going to be a lot more user-friendly, um, it's going to be a, more of a guidance from the original one, um, a lot more hints and tips on how to progress, and I think it's going to be adaptable by a lot more wide variety of different organisations, small, big, um, doesn't matter whether it's energy, essential services, it could be adopted by anyone. So I think if we use the new standard, the way that will um, impact our customers, will actually benefit our customers, is that we'll be making lots of new changes, which at the end result is going to impact them. It's going to provide more positive um, outcomes for the customers and make it easier for them to speak to us, for us to deal with them, to us find solutions to any of the concerns they've got. So yeah, I think it will make such a difference in that way.
My name is Amanda Phillips, I'm the Priority Services Partnerships and Engagement Lead um, and we are the water company up in the northwest, and we serve around 7 million customers in 3 million homes. Um, so obviously like all water companies, 365 days a year, uh, day and night, you know, our product is in every single person's home within the northwest. Not many organisations can probably say that. So it's very, very essential service that we provide. So it's about knowing where those customers are that need our help not just with the bills and with other things, it's about when there's an incident, when there's a storm, when there's something large happening. We know where those customers are there and then, so we don't lose that time. That could mean life and death for some people, depending on what medical conditions they have. You know, they may have a medical need for water, so it's really important that we get that information um, now, really, so data sharing and stuff like that. It's really extremely important to us going forward in the next few years. We're always up for any feedback, any feedback from a customer, third party organisation, exactly what they were saying on the stage, you know, partner organisations do a fantastic job, customers don't ring us up and say, I love your water, what a great product, thanks very much, but you know, it's about, I've got a problem with my bill, I've got a problem with my water, it's discoloration, it tastes funny, um, I've got a leak, things like that, um, so it's, our frontline operators do such a fantastic job to kind of do that first line engagement with that customer so it's got to feed down from the top right down to the bottom well, not the bottom but right down to our call agents it's got to and the people in the field as well digging up the roads pe people's gardens going in people's houses see all sorts of deprivation every single day so yeah really excited about the new the new standard really and implementing it really and see if there's any more improvements we can make really the views of some of the organisations looking to adopt ISO 22458 to improve even more what they do to support vulnerable consumers. Now, to find out more about ISO 22458 for consumer vulnerability and the work of BSI and ISO on consumer issues, then check out the links in the show notes. And also check out the seven-part series from The Standard Show that we produced on the work of CPIN, BSI's Consumer and Public Interest Network, as part of the CPIN at 70 celebrations. It's available on the podcast feed. So our thanks to Julie Hunter, Michael Hill, Nikki Stopford, Leo Miles, Sadie Dainton, Peter McLennigan, Andy Clowes, Julie Walker and Amanda Phillips for their contributions to this episode. And our thanks also to Shani Danda, to whom we will leave the final words. So it's our collective responsibility to remove the barriers that people face. Hopefully you've seen from my story, my conditions never stop me from doing anything. It's been the world, it's been people's bias, it's been inaccessibility. And it's in our own interest to be allies to people from diverse and oppressed and vulnerable groups because everybody's struggles are tied to each other's. Don't forget that every single decision that we all individually make can either raise or lower barriers to participation in society and vulnerability. Everyone deserves access to fair, flexible and inclusive services. So what action will you take? Thank you. You have been listening to an episode of The Standard Show with Matthew Childs and Cindy Parakil. Subscribe to us now wherever you get your podcasts. You just heard a stripped media production.